Thank you for downloading this podcast from Awakening Church. Amen. Dave and Jan are the state overseers, uh, state administrative bishops. I get confused on what they call them now. He's he's really important. Is what I'm trying to say, in in Oklahoma, and uh, uh, he's he's been all over, literally all over the nation, ministering. And um, so, man, we just we we honor you guys so much, and. Um, the, the truth of the matter is, is I probably should have totally just stepped aside and let Jan come up here and just eat that piano up and sing Ain't No Grave because she is amazing. And uh, I remember a song, Jan, that we used to do back when we called it the ensemble at, uh, Solid, at Solid Rock. And uh, man, I, I came back when I was 10 and I was just dying to sing with the ensemble. That's what we called it at the time. And uh, man, Jan would sing this song, Yes, Lord, from the bottom of my heart to the very depths of my soul, yes. And I'm talking about she lit it on fire. And uh, whew, it's good, it's good. I can't think about Ain't No Grave without thinking about a fella named Willie Cook. It was my first introduction to that song. It was Blind Willie Cook. He was a friend of my grandfather's in eastern Kentucky. And you talk about a twang. He would sing Ain't No Grave. And uh, he, he was left-handed. Get this. He was left-handed. And he would take a right-handed guitar and turn it upside down and play it. For any of you who know anything about a guitar, you know that is some talent. He, would t- he was blind, and he would turn it upside down and play it, and he's the one who actually taught my dad how to play the guitar. And uh, so, uh, Blind Willie Cook sang Ain't No Grave, and so when I heard uh, this newer r- version, I mean, that was just like, it jumped all over me. And uh, the new verses, talk about Appalachian, the new verses that were written to that song that we did were written by Molly Skaggs, who is Ricky Skaggs' daughter, who is a Holy Ghost believer from Kentucky. And uh, so so just tons of heritage in that. Amen. Rebecca's already mentioned we had an amazing time uh, seeing our boys and getting to hang out and, uh, man, going to that revival group. You know, I literally, I, I, I stood up against the wall and I just wept the whole time because Cameron was in the middle of the room with a guitar and he was just spinning and just leading worship to the whole group. And I mean, just, I, I was like, man, I, I want to worship, but I'm just, I'm just being wrecked right now. Just when, when you see those arrows that you've sent functioning in that and, um, he had just gotten back from London, England, the missions trip, and amazing testimonies. Lexi got back from South Korea, amazing testimonies, and uh, they'll be home next month. They'll be home, and so I'm, I'm super excited about that. We had an amazing time. Uh, we went to a conference at Bethel, and um, just just unbelievable unbelievable time. There's lots of things that are happening in our spirit uh, that we'll be sharing in, in the days to come and, and things that we believe the Lord is positioning, awakening for, and positioning us for Louisville and for the state of Kentucky. So thank you guys. Y'all can stop. Thank you so much. Aren't they good? The, the band is awesome. They're so good. Well, I'm sure you won't be surprised by this, but I'm going to take a little different turn from a normal resurrection day uh, sermon, and um, I'm actually going to, uh, I'm going to read something first, and then we're going to get our text out of Revelation, 
And um, so it's so funny. I know Stephanie was mentioning Revelation. We came in for prayer, and Heather and Josh were leading us at prayer, and Heather was reading Revelation multiple times. And so uh, I'm really, really excited about what the Lord is saying to us. I'm going to read something for you uh, that I've written, and then we're going to jump in. Uh, we'll be in Revelation chapter 1, guys. <clears throat> Can we just pray? Father, we just love you. We thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you that the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in our mortal bodies. We're so grateful for all that you have done and all that you have accomplished. We honor you today and we bless you with everything that we have. We love you. Our hearts are postured for you. Come and do what you want to do. Minister to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The completed work of the cross brought redemption justification, and acknowledges us as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. However, the cross was an initiation point that opened a pathway to the power available through the resurrection of Jesus. The beautiful, bloody, glorious cross can never be diminished, for we would never get to resurrection without the cross. There can be no shortcut to resurrection. You must go through the gate of the cross. However, to stop at the cross is to not fully understand what the cross accomplished and what Jesus paid for by his death. The death of Jesus on the cross removed the curse that was handed down to generation after generation from the fall of Adam. It was the cross that gave us the ability to come close to God in real relationship. It was the key to redemption. The cross, once and for all, tore the veil that separated God and man. The cross was the release of amazing grace. The cross was a demonstration that the flesh nature could die once and for all. The cross taught us that we could die to self and be fully submitted to the will of the Father. Forever I will cherish the old rugged cross, but that is not the end of the story. We were never supposed to stop at the forgiveness of sin, but it was always the plan of God that the earth would be colonized, I want you to hear this word, would be colonized by a nation of sons and daughters. It was always the plan of God that the earth would be colonized by a nation of sons and daughters. Dominion on the earth was always the plan. It was the resurrection that gave us the power to accomplish that task. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in your mortal bodies. It was, I want you to hear this, I want you to hear this, in a nation and in a time where people are struggling more than they ever have for identity. I want you to catch this. I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. It was the resurrection that solidified the identity that you were created for. It was the resurrection that solidified the identity that you were created for. Let's go to Revelation chapter number one. In just a moment, I'm going to be reading verses 4 through 6 if you guys want to get that loaded. But I, I, want, to, I want to tell you something about Revelation. W one of the fallacies that I see in the church is that whenever we think of Revelation, we always think of end times. I, I, I want to help us today. Revelation, 
was not just written so you could know about Armageddon and the opening of the seals. If you look at the title, it is the revelation of Jesus. If you see Armageddon and you miss Jesus, you have completely missed the focus of the book of Revelation. Revelation was written so that you could see Jesus rightly, okay? So, so I have been in Revelation for a couple of months now because the Lord's dealing with me on some other stuff. I think I've shared that with you a little bit, that he's talking to me about the seven churches. That's, that's not what we're talking about today. But, but I've been there, so I've been doing some, some study. And so I just want to give you a little bit of background. So John was living in Ephesus at the time he was exiled. Honestly, he wasn't, he wasn't harming anybody. He wasn't doing anything wrong. He was just living actually uh, on a hillside that overlooked some pagan temples and he, he was the overseer of the churches in Asia Minor. And he's, he was really just minding his business. And there was an emperor that came to power named Domitian that decided that John was a threat and was going to exile John to the Isle of Patmos, okay? I'm, I'm telling you this for a reason. So he exiles John to the Isle of Patmos after John had been boiled in oil. I know that some people say that, uh, well, that's just a theory, but actually Tertullian is the one who wrote about that, and uh, Tertullian is known for being super, super accurate in what he said, okay? I'm trying not to go all Bible nerd on y'all, but I really, I, I can't help it because I just, I, I, I like this, okay? So I, I want you to understand this. So John chapter, or Revelation chapter 1 is where we get all of the scripture that you hear us read all the time, that his eyes, they burn like fire, his hair is like wool, his feet are like polished brass, right? So, so um, he's having a literal vision of Jesus. Now, what's really interesting is that when, when he was caught up in the spirit, what that really means is that it, it literally caught him by surprise, he wasn't, he wasn't meditating. He wasn't planning on having this, this crazy encounter. It literally caught him by surprise, and he was caught up in the spirit, okay? So Domitian, Domitian exiles him to Patmos, and right before he exiles him to Patmos, I want you to catch this, Domitian makes the claim that he is God. The emperor makes the claim, I am God, you will worship me, and then he exiles John to Patmos. Why is that, in, why is that interesting? It's interesting because can you imagine after being boiled in oil, after watching them crucify Jesus, this is John the Beloved, right? It's John, the, which let, let me just say this, we, we know John the Revelator, but you don't get to be Revelator until you're beloved. Until you accept identity as the beloved one, it qualifies you after you accept that identity to then have revelation that can change things, okay? All right, side note. So Domitian says, I'm God. John is exiled to Patmos. Can you imagine that John is probably questioning, I wasn't doing anything, and now I'm exiled to Patmos. This guy is saying he's God, and he really is exercising some power over me. It's human nature, right? This dude is exercising some power over me. I love this. And the first thing that John sees in his vision is the real Jesus. 
it, it's, it's almost as if he sets him up. And he's like, listen, I know dude said he was God, but let, let, let me show you something that you've never seen. I know that you laid on my chest, and I know that, that we had relationship, but let me show you what I look like now. And the very first thing that John sees is a vision of the real Jesus with eyes that burn like fire, hair like wool, right? Okay, and so it says, I was on the Lord's day. I was... Caught up in the spirit on the Lord's day, right? Immediately, just because of our culture, we're like, oh, man, he must have been, it must have been Sunday or Saturday for the Sabbath, right? Isn't that what we think? Listen, you know you do. You read it for all those years and be like, oh, man, I wonder what day he went to church because he was caught up on the Lord's day. Yeah. So, so it literally has nothing to do with being a church day. Watch this. Domitian says, I'm God. Exhaust him to Patmos. He has a vision. The Lord's day what it literally is referring to is the a first day of the month, and every first day of the month was called Emperor's Day. It was called Emperor's Day. And so it was a day that you took to celebrate the emperor and to, to celebrate his greatness, right? So, so Domitian says, I'm God. It's now the day we're supposed to celebrate him, and Jesus shows up and says, not so, not so. Listen, that's all side note. That ain't have really anything to do with what I'm going to preach, but it's bad, to, it's bad to the bone anyway, isn't it? I, I love the way that Jesus works. Okay, so, so, so remember what I said, that the resurrection solidified our identity forever. You know, I love what Bill Johnson says. People come to him, they, they ask him all the time, and they're like, um, you know, I just don't know what to do with my life. And he said, I can help you. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, and raise the dead. Cast out demons. He said, well, I don't know if I need to be a teacher or if I want to get married. He's like, well, do you want to get married? Yeah. Do you want to be a teacher? I think so. Cool. So get married, be a teacher, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, and cleanse the lepers. Right? I want to add something to that because here's our identity right here. Verse number four. From John to the seven churches in western Turkey, may the kindness of God's grace, I'm in the Passion Translation, may the kindness of God's grace and peace overflow to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are in front of his throne. Here it is. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. Everybody say faithful witness. The firstborn among the dead and the ruling king who rules over the kings of the earth. Now to the one who constantly loves us and has loosed us from our sins by his own blood. This is where I'm going to hang my hat all day. And to the one who has made us to rule as a kingly priesthood to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion throughout the eternity of eternities. Here is your identity. He has made you a king and a priest. The King James Version says he's made us kings and priests. This is the identity that was sealed at the resurrection, okay? Let me, let me just break this down a little bit. So first of all, the faithful witness. Faithful, it literally means one who is trustworthy and can be relied on. The character and nature of God is to be perfect in the ability to be trusted. It is to be perfect in the ability to be trusted. One of the things that the disciples struggled with at the death of Jesus is, can I trust this guy because he just died? Even though he had told them, I'm going to rise after three days, they were still struggling with, can I trust this guy? And I want you to understand that the character and the nature of God is that 
it, he has perfect ability to be trusted. All right, here's what I need y'all to do. I need y'all to focus in here. I, I know you think about ham and lamb chops and, and, and all this stuff that I'm bringing in, but let, let, let's focus in and hear what the Lord has to say today. Can we do that? All right, Jesus' name. Your ability to live from this place of understanding that he's trustworthy allows you to have joy and peace without limits that will affect your body and mind. The ability for you to believe that he really is faithful, remember what I said, faithful witness, it gives you the ability to have joy and peace without limits. If you don't have joy and you don't have peace, oftentimes it's because you're questioning who God is in a certain situation. You're questioning who he is. Is he still good? Is he still covering me? Am I still protected? And I'm telling you, your ability to settle in your heart that he is faithful and can be trusted gives you the opportunity to have joy and peace without limits. This will affect your body and your mind. It will affect your body and your mind. Now, Here's this word that just blows me away. He's the faithful witness. This word witness literally means martyr. It literally means martyr. One who bears witness by his death. So what we just read, five and six, could literally be translated this way. Jesus Christ, the one who is trustworthy and can be relied on so much so that he proved it by dying as a martyr to present us free from our sins, washed in his own blood, to make us kings and priests for his father. That could be the literal translation that the resurrection, when he got out of the grave after going into hell, taking the keys, leading captivity captive, when he got out, it literally could be translated that he is the one who is trustworthy and can be relied on, so much so that he proved it by dying as a martyr to present us free from our sins, washed in his own blood to make us kings and priests to his Father God. This was the completed work of the resurrection resurrection, to make a people, a family, into a nation, a kingdom of priests, or better yet, watch this, two words, a people who are governed by presence and authority. The priest and the king, presence and authority, okay? Watch this. Priests that will minister to God and to the people in the function of worship. I could give you scripture after scripture about how this word is literally used in a liturgical sense throughout scripture. One that I'll just mention is, is in uh, Acts chapter 13 when uh, they're having a prayer meeting at Antioch and Paul and Barnabas are separated, right? Literally says that they're having a prayer meeting that they were ministering to the Lord in the capacity of being a priest. They were ministering. It was in that function of ministering to the Lord that Paul and Barnabas, possibly two of the greatest preachers in the New Testament, were separated from that body, watch this, but the body kept thriving and Paul and Barnabas left and did their ministry and thrived as well. Why? Because it was done correctly and in order. There was presence, but there was also authority that allowed them to be released into what God had said. So watch this. A priest is one who offers sacrifices and in general is busy with sacred rites. This particular word, priest here, is used for Gentiles and Jews. 
All right? It, it's not just the Jewish high priest. It's for, it's for us, too, that are not Jewish. Okay? Now, I just want to preface this by saying I can't make this stuff up. What I'm about to tell you, I can't make this up. Okay? This is one of the definitions of a priest. It's a metaphor of Christians because purified by the blood of Christ and brought into close intercourse with God, they devote their life to him alone and to Christ. What do we talk about day after day at Awakening Church? It's intimacy with Jesus. It's knowing him. And what Jesus says is, I'm going to make you a priest, one who is in close intercourse with God, so intimate, so joined like a husband and a wife, that intimacy is all that you will know in this moment. Jesus' name. It was the resurrection of Jesus and the defeat of death that gave us the power to be priests of this order. Now, one of the things that we talk about here a lot is generational legacy. One of the things I believe that's been robbed from the church at large is the idea of generational legacy. I've got some ideas as to why I think we adopted this doctrine of escapism that, you know, we'll all be happy when we get over there. Ain't nobody going to be happy here, but when we all get over there, we'll, we'll be happy, right? And, and, and so we, had, we adopted this thing. And, and, and I remember, uh, anyway, a doctrine of escapism. That's all, that's all I'm going to say right there. Um, but one of the things I feel like the Lord is talking to us about is generational legacy. I want you to understand something, that when we are dreaming and we're praying about what the Lord wants to do in Louisville and Awakening, it's not just for you. It's for your generations to come. That's the thing that moves me. That's the, what, what will we hand to Brady and Haley and Cameron and Trenton and all of your kids. Beyond that, what will we hand to Micaiah and Lincoln and Hudson and Maddox? What, what are we handing to this next generation? Hopefully something better than what we were handed, right? But I want you to hear this idea of being a priest in generational legacy because here's the deal. We worship the high priest. We minister before the high priest. So the generational legacy that is available is that we minister before the Lord, the high priest. You remember the story in, in Genesis where Abraham has just taken the spoils of a great nation, and all of a sudden this dude shows up, Melchizedek, right? He just shows up out of the blue. And, and who, who, who knows? We're, we're not going to go into what, what he was and who he was. We just know that he was the king of Salem. He really had no beginning, and he had no ending. I'll, I'll let you decide what you want to make him, okay? He's a high priest, though, and Abraham pays tithe. He gives a tenth of all the spoils to Melchizedek. But watch this. It's not until his great-grandson, Levi, that it's mentioned again that when he paid tithe to Melchizedek, it was accounted to the order of Levi. It was accounted to the order of his great-grandson. What would happen if in your worship, Jesus, you began to realize that what I'm doing in intercession right now is not so I can get out of this pickle that I see right here, but so that a great-grandson, a great-granddaughter would never have to deal with the junk that I'm dealing with right now. I'm telling you, that's what the resurrection solidified, that you can minister as a priest in intercession intercession so that what you deal with now is never even an issue for generations to come. 
I'm telling you, we've got to begin to think past the front of our nose, and we've got to begin to build legacy in the kingdom for generations that are coming after us. When I function in my identity as a priest before the high priest Jesus, I am, in fact, interceding for generations to come. It was the finished work of the resurrection that sealed the identity of you and I as a kingdom of priests that Jesus presented to his father, that he presented to his father. What does your financial situation look like in regard to your great-grandchildren? Come on, can we, can we think about that? Can we begin to think about that? Can we think about what, what our legacy will look like financially? What will it look like spiritually? What are they going to say I heard a story of a guy, he went to a prayer room, and, and many of you would know the guy if I, if I mentioned it. I don't know him personally, but I heard the story, but I just want you to catch this. He goes to a prayer room, and he's praying. He's immediately taken into a vision. In the vision, he's in this beautiful log cabin, and there are just tons of people, probably 30 or 40 people there, and multiple generations and he's looking over this, and, and, and the angel of the Lord in the vision begins to talk to him, and he looks over the mantle, and he sees a picture of an older couple. And he asked the guy, he said, who is this? This, this, this legacy, this, this, this cabin was, was for the generations. It was, it was built for them. And I, I hear them, he, he heard them in the vision and they were talking and they, it, it wasn't the angel of the Lord. It was, it was them talking. And, and one generation came to the other and he asked, he said, who is that? over the mantle. And he said, that's your great, great grandfather. It was the person who was having the vision. It's your great, great grandfather. And they're responsible for all this. And he said, it literally wrecked the course of his life. It totally changed everything about what he was doing. And they begin to build for generational legacy. The conversations that you have at the dinner table the approach that you have to the things of God, is it normal? Is, is it mundane? I'm, am I too tired? And this, all of these things that we do, we've got to begin to understand that there's, a, there, there's something about legacy. And you know what? Even when I'm tired, when they ask for something, if it's within my power, I go to do it. Right? And I'm not saying, oh, we're going to raise a generation of spoiled brats. No, please hear me. There's a much deeper connotation than this. I'm telling you that what was solidified at resurrection was that they would not have to deal with the same junk that you have had to deal with and struggle with. I hear people sometimes say, oh, well, they got to come up and they got to pay their dues. That's garbage. I don't want my kids to have to pay the same dues that I do. As a matter of fact, it is a threat to my leadership. I don't mean threat. I don't even know what the word is. It's not threat. It's a bad mark on my leadership if they have to do the same things that I did. Listen, for the spiritual sons and those of you that are here under our leadership, if we have to continue to do the same thing over and over and over again, it is a mark against the leadership that we continue to do the same things why? It's because we never got it right the first time. And I'm saying this, the resurrection, it was the resurrection that gave you the power to get it right once and for all.
It solidified our identity as a priest. Okay. A king. So a kingdom of priests, right? It was the resurrection that gave us the authority to rule as a royal priesthood, a nation of kings that would govern from the place of presence. Now, if you go study this, you're going to find different uh, theologians who say different things. You're going to find some that say, we were never supposed to be kings. It literally means a, royal, a kingdom of priests, and he's the king, which is true. He's the king of all kings, right? You're going to find some theologians that say, no, it's literally saying that we are kings and priests. Here's the deal. There's enough scripture in the Bible that supports the fact that he was saying, I'm trying to build something in you that makes you a legislative body that governs from the place of presence. And I don't care what you want to call it. You can call it king. You can call it a kingdom. Whatever you want to say, he said, I'm doing this so that you would be a legislative body that would govern from the place of presence. Revelation 5.10, you have chosen us to serve our God and formed us into a kingdom of priests who reign on the earth. This is not something that happens just when we get in heaven. But on the earth, we are supposed to reign as a legislative body. Exodus 19.6, it's original intent, right? And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to Israel, to the children of Israel. This was the original intent that Jesus came to establish, that we would be a legislative body that would govern from the place of presence that we would literally make decrees not out of emotion and not because we're looking at America and saying it's going to hell in a handbasket. Well, duh. You're not prophetic because you look at America and say it's terrible. You're prophetic when you can say, I see what is here, but here's what the Lord has spoken about this great nation. Here's what the Lord has spoken about generations to come. That's what makes you prophetic when you tap in to the gold that God has reserved for this nation and for your generations, okay? Now, let me just take a little bit of a turn. I have the ability to function as this because Jesus functioned this way. Everything I'm telling you, Jesus did. If you go to John chapter 11, it's probably one of the most quoted scriptures in the Bible. Specifically for people when you put them on the spot and ask them to quote a scripture. If you're put on the spot, there's two scriptures normally. It's going to be John 3.16 or John 11.35, which is Jesus wept. You know it's true. Jesus wept. What's it mean? Oh, he was crying. It was terrible. <laughs> What's the context? Oh, he was tore up. <laughs> Seriously, Jesus wept, right? I want to show you that Jesus wept has a much deeper connotation than what you thought. Watch this. John chapter 11 is the story of Jesus going to raise Lazarus from the dead. It's a story of resurrection. He goes and gets the news from the disciples. Let me just mess with you a little bit. And he immediately says, I want to go back. And the disciples say, no, you can't go back because they're going to kill you. And watch this. A man that we have called Doubting Thomas, which I don't find that anywhere in the Bible, but a man that we have called Doubting Thomas says, let's go back and die with Jesus. That doesn't sound like doubt to me. You say, oh, but he doubted because he said, I'm not believing it unless I see the nails in his hands and in his side. What if he was so in love with a man that he said, I'm never giving myself to someone else like that unless I see him? And he 
evidently had a special place with Jesus because he walked through walls to come see Thomas alone. I don't have time to talk about the fact that he will walk through whatever walls that you form up just to meet you and make himself real to you. So Thomas says, let's go back and, and let's die with Jesus. Watch this. And they say, your friend Lazarus has died. And he does something. He says, he's not dead. He's sleeping. I want you to catch this. First of all, Jesus always looks at death different than you do. He always looks at death different than you do. You say, what are you talking about? Even the cross, it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. He always looks at it different than you do. And so they say Lazarus is dead, and he steps into this gifting of being prophetic. And he says he's not dead. He's just sleeping. I want to tell you today that I am prophetic because he was prophetic. You are prophetic because Jesus was prophetic. And it was the resurrection of Jesus Christ that solidified the identity for you to be able to function in those gifts. You're not prophetic just because you're so much closer to God. You're prophetic because the man Jesus walked the earth and he would say things like he's not dead but he's sleeping. But watch this. It then says that Jesus weeps. Why? Because he steps out of the robes of the prophetic and steps into a priestly garment and begins to feel the affection and the affirmity of his people. We do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but in all points was tempted like as we are, yet without sin. I want you to catch this. I want you to understand. I feel the old preacher riding up in me right now. I'm trying to, I'm trying to be good on Easter. I, I, I want you to understand I want you to catch this, that he steps out of a prophetic garment, steps into a priestly garment, and he is literally weeping because of the death of his friend, but he's also weeping because they still don't yet know who he is. And so he steps into a priestly garment and begins to minister to the people and minister to the Father as he opens up revelation for them about Lazarus not being dead, but just sleeping. So I want you to understand this. I'm prophetic because Jesus is prophetic, but I'm a priest because Jesus was a priest. Sometimes I have to step into those robes and really that's the one I want to live in. I want to live, I know it's good to be prophetic and I love that, but I want to live in this priestly robe that allows me to minister to the Father and in turn, not because of striving and not because of talent and not because of something I can do, people are then ministered to because of what is flowing from the inside of me. I told some people the other day, for 15 years of my ministry, I believe that I was called to ministry. The last six years, I don't believe that I'm called to ministry. I believe that I'm called to a burning relationship with Jesus and the indescribable outflow that happens from a burning relationship with Jesus is that people get ministered to. See, when, when we think that we're just called to be a priest, then we don't have time for when he wants to mess with us and be prophetic. And when we think we're just called to be a priest, we don't understand that there has to come a time where my priesting before the Lord has to turn into authority, which is what he did. So he steps out of the prophetic robe. He steps into the priestly robe. He weeps. He ministers to Mary and Martha. But then he steps into a kingly robe. And he pulls on the relationship that he has with the Father from the priestly position. Are y'all hearing me today? He, he pulls on that, and he doesn't go up and say, Lord, I just pray right now in my own name that, that you would raise Lazarus from the dead and that, that you would help me. 
That's not what he does. Why? Because when you do this right, it produces an authority in you that allows you to understand that you can overtake some stuff. And so he steps out of the priestly robe and comes into the kingly robe, and he says this. I love it. He says, Lord, Father, I know that you have heard my prayer. I know that you have heard my prayer. Then watch this. It says that he sighs within himself. What that literally means is that he snorted with anger. He steps out of this office right here of ministering before the Lord, steps into authority, and looks at the grave and goes, Father, I know that you have heard me. And so now, so that all these people will know that I am who you say I am and that I really am the resurrection and the life. I can't get no help in this Presbyterian church. So that they will know that I am exactly who that you have said that I am. I want you to glorify your son. And he looks at the tomb and he doesn't ask. He says, Lazarus, come forth. But watch this, watch this. He doesn't just have authority over the grave because when Lazarus comes out, he's still bound. I want you to understand you've got some family members that you're trying to pull out, but they're still bound, right? But when you do this priestly thing right, you step into authority, and then he says, loose him and let him go. I'm telling you, I'm a prophetic because Jesus was prophetic. I'm a priest because Jesus was a priest. I have authority because Jesus had authority, and he has given it to you and I. And it was the resurrection that solidified my identity as a king and a priest once and for all, never to be questioned again. Never to be questioned again. I heard one preacher, he was preaching and he said, I think it was a divine game of Red Rover. He said, I think Jesus looked into the tomb and he said, Red Rover, Red Rover. Send Lazarus right over. <laughs> Guys, I'm telling you, that's the identity that was solidified. Here's the deal. If you leave today and you don't realize that for once and for all it was settled, you're going to fall right back into one of these offices and not really know how to function. I didn't want to say office all day long, and I just said it. it's not an office. It's a gifting. It's a gifting Hopefully, I've taught you all that. Ephesians 5, those gifts, they're not offices. Pastor, prophet, teacher, evangelist, they're gifts that Jesus gave. He said, I give gifts to men. It's not an office. An office denotes election. If this is an office, somebody could vote me out of being prophetic, but can I get some help in here? Ain't nobody about to vote me out of being prophetic. Ain't nobody about to vote me out of being a priest. And ain't nobody about to vote me out of being a king with authority functioning on the earth. Sheba. What does this all have to do with us being a kingdom of priests? What does it have to do? The functionality of the prophetic, the functionality of the priest, and the functionality of authority were always supposed to make dead things get up. 
it was always supposed to make dead things get up. What are you saying? If there are areas in your life right now that you feel are dead or dormant, I'm telling you that it was solidified at the resurrection of Jesus when he got out of that grave that you can function in these gifts and you can absolutely cause dead things to come to life. This is the completed work of the resurrection. Our identity is forever solidified. Watch this. To affect culture as a family that governs and makes legislation in the spirit to affect the natural from the place of presence. Let me read that again. This is the completed work of the resurrection. Our identity is forever solidified to affect culture as a family that governs and makes legislation in the spirit to affect the natural from the place of promise, from the place of presence. The promise, listen, the promise is this, that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. It's not a junior Holy Spirit. It's not a fractured Holy Spirit. It is the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead who lives in our mortal bodies and causes us to function, always causes us to triumph, but causes us to function in the identity that he has given for us. That is the promise. Watch this. It is the skillful use of that promise that gets us from conflict to victory. It is the skillful use of that promise that the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is living in my mortal body. It is the skillful use of that promise that gets us from conflict to victory. I'm telling you, if you're in conflict, you do not have to stay there. You do not have to stay there. It's the skillful use of this promise that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you that will bring you from conflict to victory. The resurrection of Jesus grants us permission, I love this, to be co-resurrected with him to accomplish his purposes on earth as it is in heaven. The cross was to bring us close the resurrection was to release the power to affect culture. I want to say this. I want to say this really quick. Will y'all just put some really soft music on, please? I want to say this. I'm going to talk to the home folk real quick, okay? I'm struggling with this idea of if Awakening Church were to shut down right now, would the city of Louisville know about it? I want to say that for a majority of churches, but I can only say that for the one that I'm a part of. If Awakening were to shut down right now, would the city of Louisville know about it and would they care? I cannot say yes to that at this point. Ryan, what are you talking about? Let's go back to shouting about the priest and the prophet and the king, right? Watch this. If we function in these giftings, but never move to where we affect culture, we have missed the boat. We've missed it. We've missed the power of resurrection. 
we've, we've not given him everything that he paid for, if that is the case. And so I'm asking myself, what, what exactly is it that we're supposed to do? Now watch this. Here's what I know. It's not that we're going to strive. I'm just going to help you. It's not that we're going to come in and say, oh my goodness, this 100 people, 120 people, whatever it is, is part of awakening. We're going to come in and we're, we've got a strategy. We're going to divide the city up and we're going to do street evangelism. No, 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 no. No. What we're going to do is we're going to stay in this prophetic gifting and we're going to stay in this priestly gifting right here and we're going to stay in this gifting of authority and begin to shift things until it's not us striving in any way. We're listening to what Holy Spirit is saying and we're moving in the direction that the wind is blowing. And if we don't do that, we've missed the whole power of the resurrection of Jesus if we do not move into that. So I'm I'm asking myself, how do we affect culture? One of the greatest ways that we affect culture is that tomorrow when you go to work, tomorrow when you start your business that they realize that there's something different about you because the identity of a king and a priest has been solidified in you listen I'm talking about practical things I'm talking about do you smile to your waitress I'm talking about do you smile to the person who gets on your nerves because there's only one lane open in the store and you got to wait and wait and wait and you get up there and then you act like you ain't got no sense in your head. I literally, I literally saw a dude yesterday, probably in his early 60s, on Preston Highway, get out of his car in a road rage incident and go up and literally starts beating on the trunk of a dude's car. And, and the other dude was out for a little while, and so he gets out, and he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to meet you. And he's beating on the trunk of his car, and then they both speed off. And you know what really ended up and happened? They both just got mad, and nothing happened. But they didn't know how to respond. What I'm saying is that the power of the resurrection, listen, I know we could shout all day, and I could have preached for a whole hour about us being in the giftings of the prophetic, the priest, and the authority. I'm telling you, I mean, with no work at all, I could have just preached for an hour right there. But if we don't take that and begin to affect the culture out there, we're propagating a gospel that we don't believe has the power to really change anything. And I'm telling you that he gives us the ability to function in these giftings so that we can become the kingdom of priests who govern and decree legislation from the place of presence. I think about the Moravians who for a hundred years prayed night and day and literally sparked a missions movement where they would sell themselves into slavery to preach the gospel. I, I think about people like Daniel Nash who would go into a city before Finney would ever, Charles Finney would ever go into a city for a crusade. Daniel Nash would go in for a week to two weeks in intercession to prepare the way for what the Lord was wanting to do. See, here's the thing about generational legacy. Are you willing, are you willing 
to sow into something that you may never see? Are you willing to really give yourself if nobody knows your name? See, the kingdom man, the kingdom woman, most often is not recognized in their own generation. But in the generations to come. And I'm wondering, are you willing? Are you willing if your ministry is not what you thought it would be to sow into another generation so that they could see more than you ever imagined? Those are the kind of things that I'm dreaming about. And listen, if you think I don't have to deal with that question, because I got some big dreams. I got some big things that I want to see happen. And I'm having the Lord ask me the same question. What if it never looks like what you thought? Am I still worth it? I'll never forget sitting on the corner of my couch in my living room. And the Lord asked me so emphatically, he said, am I enough? I'm asking for strategy. I'm praying, Lord, what do you want? What do you want me to do? All of the right things. And I hear him say, am I enough? Am I enough? And I said, yes, you are. And you know what? I have to say yes every day because sometimes it doesn't feel like enough. Can we just be honest? Sometimes it doesn't feel like enough. But then I go back and I realize that after three days, he got out of the grave to solidify my identity as a king and a priest. Can I tell you that there is no other function in the body of Christ that is greater than priesting before the Lord and as a result of priesting before him and ministering before him, authority is produced for me to affect culture. There's no platform that's big enough. There's no check that's big enough. There's no building that's big enough to move the fact that he called me. Jesus bled and died. I know, I know that the cross was necessary. Listen, if you know me, you know I love the cross. It is the gateway into what he has prepared for us, but we were never supposed to just stop with he forgived me of my sins. We were supposed to move into kingdom authority and affecting generations. And the cross brings me close to him, but the resurrection gives me permission to take over. It gives me permission to take over. Come on, let's stand. Come on, would you just bow your head? Just begin to pray. Just begin to pray. Holy Spirit, we love you. Holy Spirit, we honor you today. We bless you. We're so grateful. Come on, could you just begin to thank him for the solidified identity that the resurrection produced? Could you do that right now? Whatever way you want to do it. Maybe lift your hands if you want to walk around. Whatever you want to do, just just posture your heart to say thank you for the completed work of resurrection. Come on, open your mouth. Would you do that right now? Just open your mouth and begin to thank him. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you. You're so worthy. 
You're so faithful. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast from Awakening Church. You can find us online at awakeningky.com.